greener on the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. Bye, bye, butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hour 2 starts right now of Green and Growing Good Saturday Morning, so I'm off today, but I'm bringing you basically kind of a, a whole show about pollinators. I didn't intend for it to be that way, but with this weekend being the Great Georgia Pollinator Census, I was able to pull together a lot of expert guests and interviews, so two people that I'm excited about at the bottom of the hour for you to hear from, Annette Weiss, who is a personal friend of Mrs. Rosalind Carter, former First Lady, and heads up the Rosalind Carter Butterfly Trail, and also one of her uh, members of the board of directors of the Butterfly Trail there in Plains, Dr. Yop Darud of Emory University, a professor of biology there, and some of the amazing things he's doing and how he can help you attract monarch butterflies to your landscape. And I want to go back to a call we had that same weekend. I was talking to Becky Griffin, and uh, I love how interactive you all are. During the show, you hear a caller, and I say I may not know the answer to their question. And in the meantime, you guys are furiously typing away on your keyboard, sending me an email, or putting a message on Facebook to really supplement some of the things that I'm able to share with callers in real time. So I want you to listen to Scott And then towards the end of that call, I will update it with uh, some of the great information you gave me. Scott calling from Marietta. Hey there, Scott. Good morning. Hey, Ashley. How are you? Great. Enjoy your show. Listen to you every Saturday morning. Thank you. Ashley, I've got a question for you. Uh, Keeping honeybees in a subdivision, Mm -hmm. what are the requirements? What are the, or is there any kind of a law against or for? That's a really good question. And you're in Cobb County? Yes. Cobb County, I know to be very, very friendly to stuff like that as far as their ordinances and laws and things like that. But I guess maybe it does trickle down to the city, in your case, Marietta. I'm not sure. I know a lot of people listening probably are. Um, And Becky Griffin, man, she would have been the wonderful person to answer that for you, though she's in Blairsville. But I'll tell you what to do, Scott, if you're really looking into that and want to start keeping honeybees or even for someone that doesn't have them and a swarm may land on a tree or on a, the side of a building or something in your yard like oh my gosh what do you do there's this swarm of bees and that's what they do and i know it looks scary but it's not but yeah if you're thinking about starting to keep them i encourage that i think that's awesome i would put you in touch with the metro atlanta beekeepers association that okay. is a very very strong group right here in metro atlanta for advocacy education you don't have to be a member to go to any of their meetings i think they've got one coming up in about a week or so. I think they always meet kind of in the downtown Buckhead area. But if you just reach out to the Metro Atlanta Beekeepers Association, either on their website or find them on Facebook, just search Facebook for that, you will have an expert in minutes that will probably answer that for you, someone in Cobb County that knows the rules better than I do. Are you thinking about starting them? Yes. Ah, that's so cool. I've seen them in the yard, and actually I had a swarm a few years ago Yeah. Uh, that and I actually purchased the hive, but never was able to catch them. They could, before I got it, they were gone. Yeah. But it was neat to see it and just looking forward to, you know, plus with all the flowers in the area and, the, you know, and they're good for the environment. Yeah. You know, reading up on them and watching the videos and 
it's definitely a labor of love. It's a lot of work, but it's so, so much fun. And I went up to Blairsville, um, the campus, with, with Becky uh, earlier in the spring, I guess, and got to see the five hives they have up there. And once you get into it, man, you're all in. Like, it's so rewarding, and you get hooked. So I would encourage you to do that. And when you see a honeybee swarm, this is from the Metro Atlanta Beekeepers Association. When you see a swarm, it means they're looking for a new home. And so right. that group is so mobile that they are able to find a good home for the bees that are swarming and they give out like a phone number call right away when you see a swarm they'll come out they'll ask you a few questions about how long you've seen it what were they hanging out on you know how long have they been there and they find a home so um yeah no scott i'm really glad you at least gave me the chance to promote the metro atlanta beekeepers reach out to them and hopefully they'll give you kind of the basics to get started in your city Great. Thank you. And just doing the research and reading about them and watching YouTube videos, you know, they're such an important part of what in, in gardening and, you know, in, pop, in, in doing all the pollination, you know, there's such a, and just thinking of the protecting that. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I but, think, think about it. When you go to the grocery store and buy any kind of food, it doesn't matter, short of, you know, meat or dairy or something. I think I, I read a statistic, one out of every four things you buy was made possible by pollinators. So if wow. that starts to decline, think of the change in our diets and the change in the the shift in the world, really. You know, when we don't have the things that are provided to us by pollinators, how really key that is. And I, you know, I advocate just not, you know, don't go out there and spray pesticides for no reason. If you've got mosquitoes or you've got some, right. you know, centralized problem or carpenter bees are a pain in the spring, sure, but really target the problem and do all you can to battle the the unwanted bugs before you go to wide swath of pesticides because then you're actually unintentionally harming the things like honeybees that we need, you know, if they're in your area. Correct. Yeah. So, oh, thanks for the research. Hey, Scott, promise me that you'll check back up with me and let me know if you get a hive. And, uh, you know, when you found out the laws in Marietta and Cobb County, like educate me and let me know. I would, I was just hoping to hear something, you know, when you were interviewing uh, that that were something would have been communicated about that. But, I guess I was a little late calling you. But well, and and I, I had an hour with her, but it went by yeah. so fast. And I mean, I could have I a whole show with Becky <laughs> because we could have just an hour on honeybees alone. So you're you're putting some thoughts in my head, Scott. I may I may, okay. I may go that route, but yeah, no, that was good thinking. Thank you so much, and please let me know what you find out. I definitely will, Ashley. Thank I love you so much it. For have, my call. Yeah, have a good weekend. Great to hear from you. That is so cool. The Metro Atlanta Beekeepers Association. Find them on Facebook or just metroatlantabeekeepers.org. And good morning to all of you in the group that are listening. We love the work you guys do. Sure enough, right after Scott's call, I heard from a lot of you, and he did too. Uh, Clay messaged me on Facebook and said, you know, there are no ordinances in Cobb County or Marietta codes about beekeeping. Georgia law doesn't allow cities or counties to prohibit people from beekeeping, but cities or counties can limit how close beekeeping activities can be to schools and can impose minimum lot sizes for beekeeping. So Clay shared a great resource with me, the Department of Agriculture's website, and then you kind of click around and find beginning beekeepers. There's some good information there. And speaking of schools, how cool is it that a local elementary school grows their own vegetables and the kids get to sample them fresh at lunchtime? A harvest was awaiting these kids as they returned almost three weeks ago. The vegetables got pretty rave reviews. Tomatoes. Cucumbers. Pepper. Where are they from? In the cup in there. The garden. So they didn't come from the grocery store? They didn't. Tell me, do you like spicy peppers or not spicy peppers? Spicy ones. 
Are those spicy ones? Yes. Um, I mean, like a little bit. Uh, the very spicy one. Is it a jalapeno, you think? Yeah. I like how they taste. When Miss Cindy gives you guys lunch, do you ever take those sample cups and eat other things from the garden? Yes. Tomatoes. Do you eat the green tomatoes or you eat red ones? Red. Christy Rich, principal at Macedonia Elementary, shared a photo on Twitter on Cherokee County's second day back, expressing her pleasure seeing the vegetables in the lunch line. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. I walked through the line. I'm like, hey, what is this? And they're like, it's eggplant and green beans from our garden. It was so delicious. And then right beside it were the cucumbers and then also the green peppers that they had picked as well. So it was just so good. And the kids coming through were like, wait, this is from our garden? This is from our garden? So it was it was so exciting. I think it's neat for the kids to realize that this is a summer round effort. Like this was still ongoing while they were enjoying their summer. And they come back to this and look at all that's waiting for them in the garden. Yes, and that's thanks to Miss Melanie, our PTA mom, that is totally taking care of our gardens in the summer and continues to do so now that we're in school. She comes at least up once a week to take care of everything, so she's amazing. Melanie, I understand that you kind of spearhead the effort here at the gardens at uh, Macedonia Elementary. Why did you take on this role? I actually personally love gardening, and it's one of my passions and probably one of my biggest hobbies. So I thought that I could be of help here at the gardens to keep it going. You have a special helper, too, who over the summer was up here with you a lot. I have two sons. One is eight, and he actually goes to school here at Macedonia, and he helps as well. And then my youngest son is five. His name is Frazier, and he also helps whenever we come. He really does enjoy picking the vegetables. I think his tomatoes are his favorite. Let's pick the red tomatoes. So he enjoys doing that. And you see how that can easily work into the curriculum for him because he's younger and that can help with his colors and just everything. Now, what would you say to the gardener who is a mom, who has a busy life, who is wanting to get involved in the kids' school as well? I don't have time to garden at home, let alone keep up with someone else's garden. How do you make the time? What I've learned from here is there are plenty of vegetables that are so easy to plant. For example, radishes would be one thing that was so easy to do. Another thing were the bush beans. And the mastermind behind the roasted eggplant and green beans, Cindy Byram, school nutrition lunchroom manager on what a thrill it is to be able to use the school gardens. It's exciting and I've known gardens all my life. We just put it out there so the kids can see what has been grown in the garden so they can taste it. They really like to taste what they've seen grow. I envisioned that they wanted them to be close to where the kids could see them because they want it to be a part of our school campus. That it's not something we don't touch but it's something that is part of their learning and they see them all the time. Now, is there enough to go around? We're just doing a little bit of a sample and cups, so I would say probably a couple of hundred servings since school started. We've been doing tomatoes. They love tomatoes. They love cucumbers. Kids really love the um, fresh vegetables, like they could dip in ranch. They love everything in ranch, I'm sorry. (laughs) But we've also had some eggplant and green beans, and we've been roasting them because it's a different flavor. And you told me there's herbs in here as well. What did you do special last year with the sage? We put it in our um, dressing that we, the cornbread dressing at Thanksgiving, and we use it. We have thyme, oregano, and basil that we use in our Italian dressing. And we also added in a little bit extra into our tomato sauce with our um, spaghetti sauce. So it brings a little bit more pop to it. 
Fresh herbs. There's nothing that beats it. You know, at the grocery store, you get something that's been in a plastic container for a week. It's not the same. You can also dry it and have it for later in the winter. Drying herbs is basically you cut them, make sure they're clean, and you lay them out on the pan. You, You turn your ovens on to like 200 degrees, get it hot, put it in, turn it off, and leave the door shut for several hours, and it dries it. Jessica Emmett is the culinary specialist and farm-to-school liaison for Cherokee County who says roughly 25 of the 40 schools and centers in the county participate in the farm-to-school program at some level. And she tells me so many organizations are behind this effort. And I know the Cherokee County Master Gardener Group, you know, I've had Josh Fooder on the show a number of times. Is there a current working relationship with them? Absolutely. Uh, Josh is uh, great for any kind of resource that we need. He is definitely a hands-in-the-dirt kind of person. But we also have Farm Bureau. They have like a bus that they bring around to different schools to teach, almost like a mobile classroom. Yep, and it's very interactive for the kids, but two to two or three day kind of workshop have the kids come on different grades. They're all it's all about the learning. Melanie, in addition to the vegetables that are in the garden, I noticed there's some pollinator plants and Miss Christie mentioned that there was also some milkweed last year. I was able to count many, many different types of caterpillars that were on it that were the monarch caterpillar. So that was just really neat to see and I'm hoping moving forward we can incorporate a lot more native plants into our garden. And my thanks to Principal Rich and Wildcat Nation at Macedonia Elementary. I had a great time. We'll be right back. Stay tuned to WSB. Be sure to go to my Facebook page. Search Facebook for Green and Growing WSB. Follow it, like it, whatever you have to do to uh, see some of the social media images, some of the photos and videos that I took while at Macedonia Elementary School. Such a fun day seeing the kids in the cafeteria. That was a blast. Uh, I also want you to visit my website wsbradio.com slash green and growing. When you scroll to the bottom and go to the events section, that is really something that I have a good time keeping up with. All of the garden classes and opportunities for you to be a part of. And apple picking season is upon us. Or whether you want to go to a pumpkin patch, I've got a great website from Georgia Agritourism that you may want to see so you can find a place on the map near you to make a weekend trip of it. And the North Fulton Master Gardeners have their fall gardening lecture series coming up. You want to find out more about that, find them on Facebook. The classes start with the first one about roses on Sunday, September 11th. So I'll be sure to have some information and links for you to click through to get into those classes. So when we come back, yeah, it was the former First Lady Rosalind Carter's 95th birthday the other day. And I was pleased to have the opportunity to speak to a really close friend of hers and a biology professor at Emory University. You'll see the tie-in if you stay tuned. You're listening to Green and Green. Growing on 95.5 WSB. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Hey everybody, welcome to Green and Growing. Of course, I'm your host, Ashley Frasca, and focusing on pollinators this month. It's an exciting month, 
and an exciting weekend, really, for those of us in Georgia and South Carolina listeners, too. The Great Georgia Pollinator Census started yesterday and happening all day today, so you've still got time to sit in front of your plant for 15 minutes and just count the various pollinators that stop at that particular plant. And I am so pleased that these interviews have worked out for me to bring to you. First, I have with us Annette Weiss, and she is a personal friend of Mrs. Rosalind Carter and heads up the Butterfly Trail in her honor, and Yop DeRoot of Emory University, a professor in biology with a research center there with pollinators and monarchs and studying various things. So both of you, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This is so exciting, and Annette, I'm really glad we were finally able to connect through our friend uh, Becky Griffin. And Mrs. Rosalind Carter just celebrated a huge birthday, 95 years old, just a couple of days ago. Talk about what that was like and how you're using that as really spurring an effort to make folks aware of pollinators. We're just so excited about Miss Rosalind and her love for pollinators and the interest that she showed and having more habitat around the state or the country um, to support pollinators, and particularly monarchs. Her birthday, her being 95 years young, is just amazing. She uh, inspires so many different people with the different programs that she uh, supports and sponsors. So we're just delighted that she is enjoying her flowers and watching the butterflies and hummingbirds and all the other pollinators. And of course, the Carter family, you know, the, the children of Plains, Georgia, they have put Plains, Georgia on the map. And talk about the gardeners who've really stepped up to become part of what is now the Butterfly Trail and really known internationally. This all began with an article that Miss Roseland read in 2013 about the declining habitat for pollinators. And she called me and asked me to stop by, uh, and I did. And we read the article, and she said, what do you think about me having a pollinator garden here in my yard in Plains? And I said, I think it's a wonderful idea. And the next thing she said was, will you help me? And, of course, I said yes. Uh, Miss Rosalind and I serve on the Plains Historical Preservation Trust Board, and we had worked on a number of projects through them, and she knew that uh, I loved planes and I loved butterflies and, and uh, promoting anything we could to encourage a, a good environment for pollinators. So the first garden began in 2013, and we decided on a place that was just directly across from her home. Uh, an already existing garden, but one that didn't support pollinators. So the first thing we did was uh, find native milkweed plants and then began to think about the perennials and the native plants that would give us color so that we could attract uh, the butterflies and then have the nectar for them, particularly that um, we, we have coming through our area having the host plant that would support the full life cycle. And so the two butterflies that we have really focused on are the um, monarch butterfly and the black swallowtail because we see a lot of those in our area. Uh, Miss Rosen was so excited. We actually began to see a lot more pollinators come into that garden. She was excited about it and she talked about it when she was speaking at different meetings or being interviewed. And so people began to find out about it locally and also internationally. And though it continued to grow and people around Plains wanted to know what they could do to have pollinators come into their yard and businesses and the historic site. And so I mentioned to Ms. Roseland, I said, we've got a lot of interest in this. I said, what do you think about having a trail around Plains similar to the one we did for the historical sites in Plains? And she said, I love the idea. Mm -hmm. 
So we have gardens around Plains, and we have businesses around town that um, have container gardens and some in-ground gardens, too. Uh, the amazing thing to me is this has really spread through our community. We have a, around eight to 900 people that live in Plains. We have 76 gardens registered in our community. Well, and They're now, listed. Annette, years later, the efforts spread far beyond Plains. So in just a minute, I do want to get back with you and talk about the website and how people can find out more. You all are inspiring them and, and putting them on the map with their public butterfly gardens, private and even school butterfly gardens. But then that's where we bring in a member of the board of directors, as I introduced Dr. Yap Darud, Emory University professor and founder of the Darud Monarch Lab. So, uh, Yap, tell us a little bit about what you're doing there right in the heart of the city on the Emory campus. Thank you. It's one of the things that I find most intriguing about monarch butterflies is that they become sick. You know, you think of monarch butterflies, you think of them as pretty little things that fly around, that migrate to Mexico every year. Mm -hmm. Very few people realize they also become sick, just like you, just like me, just like our pets. And a very common parasite that it becomes sick with is called Ophiocystis electroscira. Most people call it OE because it's a very big mouthful. And it's a very common parasite. And this is a parasite that I've been studying since I started working on monarch butterflies. Um, And there's a few things that we are trying to figure out about this parasite. One of them is what monarchs can actually do about it. And it turns out that monarch butterflies are in a way medical doctors. So monarchs can use different milkweed. Like Annette was saying, you know, monarchs need milkweed as their host plants for their caterpillars. But there are different species that monarchs can use. And it so turns out that some of these species can work medicinally against the parasites and others don't. When females are infected, they transmit that parasite. They give that parasite to their offspring, to their caterpillars when they're laying their eggs. And they can actually then lay their eggs on plants that make those offspring less likely to become infected or if they become infected, less sick. Um, And so that was really an interesting thing that we found. Monarch butterflies and insects like a monarch butterfly using herbal medicine, if you will. That's a big thing we're trying to figure out. How do they do it? How does it work? Is it the chemicals in the plants that do it? So that's good to know, too, though, Yop, that it's not necessarily fatal, right? If you say they're kind of medical doctors and can work to kind of figure things out biologically themselves, just when they're infected with this parasite doesn't necessarily mean they're going to die from it, right? That's a really great question. Um, you're absolutely right. And this is true when you look around nature. A lot of different animals become infected with parasites. And in many cases, they have found all sorts of ways to deal with this, uh, with these parasites. I will say that one of the things that we're also studying, and this is a little bit more worrying, is how many monarchs actually become infected with this parasite. And what we have seen is that over the years, the number of monarchs that get this parasite has increased, and it has increased quite dramatically. So when you look at a big data set that we looked at, a data set from more than 50 years, it goes back uh, more than 50 years. What we see is that until the early 2000s or so, fewer than one in 100 monarchs were infected with this parasite. When you look today, it's about one in 10. So that's a lot of monarchs. So you can look at the population now, 10% of those monarchs will have that parasite. And that's something that that is actually quite worrying because although the monarchs have ways to deal with it, when there are that many parasites, it could actually have some bad effects on the the monarch population. And recently we estimated in our research that this parasite, because it reduces the ability of monarchs to fly, so infected monarchs don't fly as well, and therefore they cannot complete that migration. It's just like thinking about humans running a marathon when you're sick, you cannot get to the finish line. It's the same with monarchs when they're infected with this parasite. They may not get to Mexico as easily. And we have calculated that there is 
some tens of millions of monarchs that may not actually make the migration now because of this infection. Wow. Now, let me ask you, too, for someone who is interested in following monarchs, and and I, I definitely want to talk to the two of you about, you know, the mutual benefits of you being on the board of directors and the uh, Rosalind Carter Butterfly Trail finding you and bringing you in as well. But for folks interested in that migration, is there a website or some interactive thing online where folks can kind of follow the migratory patterns and the times of year that the monarchs are moving? Working with the Journey uh, North Foundation, uh, you can register with them and they ask you to put in your first sightings of butterflies coming through, the monarch coming through, uh, eggs, caterpillars. So you can actually track through the United States on the eastern part where the monarchs are and you can click on it and look at what town it's in, uh, how many are seen in that area, which is great. I was totally going to say Journey North has a really great website where you get real-life data on where the monarch butterflies are at any time. Who found who as far as bringing you in on the board of directors of the Rosalind Carter Butterfly Trail? That seems just an awesome relationship made made to happen. The Rosalind Carter Butterfly Trail is the 501c3 now, but we first began with ju- it just with Miss Rosalind and I. And I told Miss Rosalind, I said, as we grow, we might want to consider having a more formal organization and create a board. And so we came to that point and we looked at different people that had been helpful uh, as we were getting established. And we, we really needed the experts to guide us, on, like Yop, on what to do to prevent OE parasite if we can, the type of habitat that's needed. And so um, I knew of Yop through the Carters and, uh, and he was the first one you know, I put down on the list. We were so lucky that he was willing to be part of the board. I thought it was a lovely opportunity. And the reason I really want to be part of this organization is that what we are trying to do with this organization is raise awareness and recreate natural habitat. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such an important thing. If we think about pollinators, if we think about monarchs and a lot of other insects, the, the problem is that they're losing a lot of their habitat, right? There's a lot of agriculture. There's a lot of urbanization. There's climate change. And these insects just have less and less resources to live on. You know, to get a little bit back also about other ways in which you could try to help, in this case, monarch butterflies, there are some ways that I don't believe in. So what I don't believe in is rearing large numbers of monarchs and then releasing them. And the reason for that is that oftentimes when you rear large numbers of monarchs, you really have a problem with this parasite. That parasite can spread very Mm -hmm. rapidly and then you can release them and actually bring parasites into the population. But what I do believe in is recreating habitat. And I also think it's important when you think about creating habitat, you help a lot of different animals rather than focusing on one species. And so by creating habitat for monarchs, you create habitat for other pollinators. And I often think of monarch butterflies as an ambassador of the natural world that people can rally around, right? People love monarchs. They may not love a tiny little bee or a tiny little beetle that they have never heard of. (laughs) That is actually more important as a pollinator, right? But by protecting monarchs, by recreating that habitat and really making sure there are enough plants, there is enough nectar, there are enough host plants, for monarchs and other insects, you really help a lot of different insects, and not just insects, birds as well. Yeah, now when we were talking about this, I thought this is really an organization that, that I would love to help with because that is what I believe 
is the right way to tackle the issues that we're facing with pollinators. Beautifully stated, Yap. Well, when we come back, I'm with Annette Weiss and Yap Darud. I want to let you all know the opportunities you have to become a part of all of these activities through the Rosalind Carter Butterfly Trail and through the Darud Lab at Emory University. So stay tuned. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. Again, I am joined by some powerful pollinator promoters, Annette Wise of the Rosalind Carter Butterfly Trail and a good friend of Mrs. Carter's who just celebrated her 95th birthday. Happy birthday. And Dr. Yap Darud of Emory University. Uh, Yap, I'm going to start with you with the work you're doing at the lab there at Emory University. You have such an interest in monarchs. You've taken so many years to research them, this parasite that affects so much of them following their migratory patterns. Uh, how can folks help? Planting pollinator gardens, I think, is a really important thing to do. And a really important thing to realize there is to plant native plants. So if you're planting milkweeds for monarchs, make sure they're native milkweeds. There are really some issues with tropical milkweed, which is a non-native in North America, that could actually contribute to the parasite that I talked about, make it worse. Think about getting rid of that, that lawn in front of your house that is taking a lot of water and pesticides and insecticides and replace that with a wild garden that can support a lot of different pollinators. You know, one of the things that that we have learned in our research is that insects don't just use the host plants. You know, the monarchs need milkweeds as, as, as their food plants for the caterpillars. They need nectar plants for the adults to drink. But what we're seeing is that animals also need medications. And we're learning that, that honeybees do this and bumblebees do it and fruit flies do it and butterflies do it. And all sorts of insects are using plants not just as food or drink, but also as a pharmacy. So really by planting a diverse number of plants and all of these native plants that occur in your area, historically, you're really supporting pollinators, not just giving them food, but giving them medicine as well you know, plant these native milkweeds, and that can be hard for people to find them in shops. So my lab actually has started providing these plants to people. And so if you're interested in getting some of these plants, you can find my contact details on my website, reach out to me, and we can provide you with some of the plants that you'll need for your garden. You plant the plants and the pollinators will do the rest. And Yap, you have certainly, you know, been around on the circuit and gotten to spread the word to so many people through conferences you're invited to speak at, even a TED Talk and the work that your lab is doing. So how can folks follow along with, with the work you're doing and find you online? Uh, I have a website online. It's called therootlab.org. That has the latest updates on our research. And um, there is also a link there to my Twitter account where I also put new things about our research out on a regular basis. D-E-R-O-O-D-E lab.org. And Annette, I'm going to let you uh, tell folks about the wonderful website that y'all have in the interactive maps there through the Rosalind Carter Butterfly Trail.org. Um, how can folks learn more and actually get involved in this effort? It's very easy. If you go on to the website, there's a icon that says click here to register your garden. There are resources there to help you with your garden planning, uh, the type of native plants that you want to be sure and include. You'll need to decide if you want to register your garden as a public garden, uh, ser- such as like the Carter Center has a public garden, Callaway Gardens has a public garden, and then private gardens would be like a home garden, and your address is not given out. You just will have your garden name and the town that you're located in. And we have many schools that have registered their their um, school gardens, which are, is a learning opportunity for students. It's free to register. A lot of people don't have a lot of space for gardening, so you can do a complete habitat for a butterfly that you want to have in your your patio or your garden with a container garden. 
And there are resources on our website that can help you establish a container garden as well as the in-ground garden. Wonderful. And I know your efforts have been so much this week in honor of her 95th birthday, of course. And we're, you know, right in the middle of the Great Georgia Pollinator Census, which uh, you all have had activities there locally. And we're encouraging folks to reach out to their local master gardener groups or their local nature centers and kind of be a part of that count if they don't want to do it at home by themselves. Uh, What does the future hold for the Butterfly Trail, Annette? It continues to grow by word of mouth. We offer seminars and workshops throughout the year, uh, and it's just an opportunity for people to learn more about pollinators, uh, how to establish gardens, and, and just enjoy nature. Well, I look forward to meeting both of you. Yop, you're right down the road from me. I'm in Midtown Atlanta. You're there on the Emory campus. So we mm-hmm. will get together. Yop Darude at Emory University and Annette Weiss of the Rosalind Carter Butterfly Trail. Thank you both very, very much for what you're doing and for taking the time with my listeners this morning. Oh, thank you. We appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Be right back. It's Green and Growing on WSB.